are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Thankful for us to be here today. I am, um, I had a long week, if I'm being like 100% with you. I had a long week. I was, uh, a lot of you know, we just recently purchased uh, a new house. And uh, yeah, no, amen, praise God. Um, but we also had to get out of the house we were renting, uh, which is just around the corner from here. And so Monday and Tuesday, we were like fixing that place up. And then, uh, and then Wednesday was a pretty good night. We hung out, bless you, uh, at our house for a community group. And then uh, the next day, though, my wife got food poisoning. And so she had food poisoning for Thursday, Friday, and uh, I want to say a little, bit of, a little bit of yesterday. And so I'm coming in feeling like kind of like one of them snowballs that just been working up from Monday to now, you know? That's what I'm feeling like right now. And so if I'm, feel, if I'm a little bit flustered, I would just ask that you would extend me a little grace today of all days as, uh, as I kind of come snowballing in today. Um, but I, I'm, thank you, John. I appreciate that feedback. Uh, if anybody else wants to give me a shirt, yeah, that's great. Um, I'll also say that, uh, I, that I'm so off off the mark right now. That wasn't even in my notes. I looked down and was like, where am I? And it was like, oh yeah, I didn't write any of that down. I just felt a, a real urgency to, uh, to ask your, your patience with me this morning. Uh, but hey, uh, I'm thankful for us being here. Uh, if you're getting back from Thanksgiving, I hope your Thanksgiving was filled with uh, joy and, and Thanksgiving, uh, in addition to food that you liked, which for me is not turkey and the other things. Uh, I'm excited to continue our time in worship today. Uh, by coming to the Word, we're asking God as we approach uh, His Word to open our hearts so that we could receive from Him. I think it's a powerful thing, and I don't want us to sleep on that. I want us to recognize that what we're doing right now, right, as we come together, we pray, we sit down, we, we are about to open God's Word and to ask Him to speak to us. It's a powerful and amazing thing. It's an act where we're not just saying, Lord, help us uh, to become different, but it's, Lord, help transform us, help, help change us. Don't just inform us about life, but transform our lives. And so it's a beautiful thing that we're doing today. I'm excited for us to continue in worship by coming to his word uh, and, and for us to be able to, to hear from him. And we're doing that by continuing our Advent series. And as I mentioned last week, I want to make sure we, we kind of clear this up. Uh, that saying that's a bit misleading because we're not just continuing our personal series of Advent, but we're really uh, joining together with the historic church calendar uh, during this season called Advent in preparation uh, to Christmas. And so it's a time where we consider the joys of Christ's first coming, right, where he's coming in uh, as a little baby. That's what the whole Christmas story is about. But it's also where we consider the hope we have in his second coming, because if we really put all the cards on the table as Christians, our hope is found in Christ's second coming. That's where the, the hope for the Christian is found. We tap into that hope when we are saved. We're, we receive new spiritual life. We're, we're, we're changed 100%, but, but that's really just a seal or a promise of what's to come in Christ's return where he will finally and eternally make all things new. I mentioned these verses last week, but I want you to really consider these verses because I'm not just just passing over them so that we could be like, oh, yeah, like that makes sense. That reinforces the argument. Think about what these are saying. In 2 Corinthians 1.22, Paul writes, he has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our own hearts as a down payment. The down payment to what? I want you to think about something. The way your life is right now and who you are right now 
It's not the end of your story. That's the beauty of the hope we have in Christ's second coming. The mistakes you've made, the way you, you, you fail at times, that's not the end of the story. That's the beauty we have, right? The injustices, that's not the end of the story. These are the, the beautiful re- truths that we celebrate when we consider deeply Christ's second coming. And so we truly experience the hope of Jesus as he changes our hearts. 100% true. But we're still waiting on the fulfillment of all that hope we have in the return of Jesus. And now we wait. That's a part of what it means to, to, to kind of sit in this space where we recognize what God has done in the cross. We remember his life, death, and resurrection uh, in Jesus that changed our hearts while we wait for the blessed hope of the return of Jesus. And so it's a powerful truth we live in. Theologians call it the already but not yet. Some of y'all may have heard that, but that's, that's something to hold on to right there. Uh, and last week, what we did was we started talking about Advent, because that's all what Advent is about, everything I just laid out there. Uh, and we started by considering what we call the basics for waiting well, right? We didn't really get into the waiting yet, but we got into the basics of waiting well. Some ideas that we, we need to have secured if we're going to wait well for Christ's second coming. We, we thought about the fact that there's a greater story at work. It's not just that our story alone uh, is what we focus on. As followers of Jesus, it's not just our lives that we focus on, but we recognize that there's a greater story of Christ's redemption and rescue and love that's at work in the world and that we're a part of. It's not just that God comes into our world, but it's that he invites us to to take part in his story of redemption and of love. We consider that there's a people God has saved and set aside to advance that story of love. And we consider the fact that we've been given gifts as those people to help serve the body of Jesus, but also to help serve and build up the communities around us. And today we're going to take some time, uh, having talked about that last week, we're going to move on and take a little bit of time to think about what waiting looks like now. If those are the basics we need to have in the back of our mind to wait well, what we want to move to now is what that waiting really looks like. Okay, we're going to see it a bit in 2 Peter 3, 8 through 18, what, what, uh, what Lex just read. And working through these texts, we're going to examine four ideas Okay, four ideas that we're going to start working through from the first one that I hope really provides some clarity for us about what waiting well is going to look like. Let's go ahead and jump in because uh, I already took more time than I was supposed to. So let's start with verses 8 through 10. We're going to work through our first idea. We're just going to look at waiting. What does waiting for the second coming of Jesus look like? What, what, what does that really mean, actually? And so waiting, let's start through verses 8 through 10. Um, starting with verses 2 Peter 3, 8 says, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away. With a loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Okay. A lot going on there, but we're going to try to, like, um, distill it into something that's pretty, pretty palatable. I'm not sure if that's right, really how distillation works, but we're going to try to get it to a more manageable spot here. Second Peter is a second letter written by the Apostle Peter um, to the churches in Asia Minor. These churches generally were under pressure uh, by people, false teachers specifically, that were trying to get them uh, to turn away from uh, the true teachings of the faith. So there was historically a lot of people... Uh, that were surrounding the churches in Asia Minor, that were trying to encourage them to turn away from the faith, that were teaching false teachings and, 
And one of the things they were doing, one of the ways they were doing that was by pointing to the return of Christ and the delay of Christ's return uh, and, and really say, hey, where's he at? Where's he at? You see, from early Christianity, the church believed in the risen and living Christ. That's the point that I want you to really remember, that I want you to think about. We're not here standing in a, a thought process or a philosophy that's evolved or, from the very beginning, from the very beginning of Christianity, Christians looked at Jesus and believed, that's my God, and he's risen from the dead. They believed that. They believed he was the son of God, God in the flesh, and that he had risen. And now, um, the point, even back then, was to live in light of his coming. Sorry. But many thought that the return was imminent. That's the real point, right? Is that many thought that return, the return of Jesus was imminent. So when we read the text, there is this subtle undertone of an expectation that Christ is going to return sometime soon. And as time passed, some outside of the faith begin to question those in the faith, why hasn't your God come back? Why hasn't he made his return yet? And so Peter here responds to that point by quoting a verse in Psalm 90 to encourage and remind the church. That's where he says, don't overlook the fact that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. And then he refutes the point exactly by saying the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. With the day, uh, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. God has not delayed his promise, but longs for people to come to faith. Uh, now, stop right here, because what, what has happened sometimes when we get to this is that people get this and they think, oh, look, there's like a mathematical formula. In fact, this has kind of led to people kind of trying to figure out like the creation story, inserting a thousand days for one day and being like, then it took 6,000 years for the world to be created. And it's like, no, this isn't a mathematical formula. That's not what Peter's trying to get us to see. Uh, really, this is an effort to help the church see God's eternal view and compassion versus our earthly view. Right, that we may see it as why hasn't he returned yet. We may see it um, and question elements of God's compassion or elements of who he is, yet God sees it as more people coming to faith. God sees it as waiting on individuals to come to repentance. Charles Big, uh, in a Church of England clergyman and theologian, he said it like this. He said, the desire of the psalmist is to contrast the eternity of God with the short span of human life. What St. Peter wishes is to contrast the eternity of God with the impatience of human expectations. Though things may not always go according to our view, they may not always go according to our perspective. Things may not go the way we plan them or the way we desire for them to go. Peter wants us to see that there's still a good and eternal God at work, even when things don't go the way we think they should. Even when our expectations are let down a little, there's still a good, eternal, all-powerful God at work. He goes on from there to help them see that, that no one really knows when the Lord will return except for God. It's like a thief in the night, right? That it, it just comes. You don't know when it's coming or else you'd be prepared. If I knew when the thief was coming, they'd never steal any of my stuff. But thieves catch you off guard. You don't know when it's coming. And that's what he wants them to know. It's all powerful stuff that should encourage our hearts, but, but I want to make a point here that's, that's implicit in the text. It's not explicit in text, but I think it's something we need to think about. These people, right, the, the Corinthian church that, uh, sorry, the Asia Minor, Asia Minor church that, that Peter's writing to, their hope was waiting in the Lord. 
They longed for his return. That's where their hope was. Their hope was in the return of Christ to make things right for all time. These, these words are only encouraging. These ideas are only encouraging if, like them, that's where our hope lies, that God will make everything right, that the hurts, the injustices, the imperfections, the mistakes that we experience right now will one day be made right and will bring life to our lifeless bodies and our world and the lives uh, that, that in, live in the world will be made right. right. This is the Christian hope. This is what their, their hearts were set on. This is what they were banking on. It wasn't anything else. It wasn't even that their circumstances would change. It was, it was Peter looking at them and saying, don't forget the hope you have. And the hope you have is that this Jesus will return and will make things right. That's the hope that encourages our heart. If that reality is not at the center of our hope, then this life is in fact all we have to look forward to. That's the reality. If, if, if Jesus' return is not the center of our hope as a believer and follower of Jesus, then we still simply believe that this hope, this life is the only thing that we have to put hope in. And if that's the case, friend, I feel for you. I feel for you. Because Jesus himself promised us that we're going to encounter trouble here. This will not be the place where all of our needs are met. This will not be the case when our heart, this will not be the place where our heart is made whole. We will suffer and we will feel the weight and pain of living in brokenness. But that brokenness leads us to the feet of Jesus who then declares, I've overcome the world and I will return to make it right. What a hope we have when we believe and place our hope in the second coming of Jesus. As Christians, we get a great opportunity to place our faith there as we wait for the return of Jesus. Yet, the beautiful parts of that, right, in that waiting and in that, that hope, in, in placing our faith there, is that we're not called to wait idly, right? We're not called to, to twiddle our thumbs is what, what we referred to it as last week. To spiritually wait, uh, twiddling our thumbs for him to return. No, there, there's work to do in the meantime. And that's what really leads us to our second idea, right? That we're thinking about waiting, but in the waiting, we are called to work. There's working that we're called to do. Check out verses 11 through 13. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Not only are we called to wait, we're not just called to wait, but in light of the realities of, of Christ's return, we're able then to understand how we're supposed to live in response to that. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, well, really, when you look at what Peter is saying, he's saying that considering that, that everything, that's right, you know what, I hit on something a little bit ago, but I'm going to have to take a pause here because without saying this, the last part's not going to make any sense. All right, so one of the things that he's mentioning is that when Christ returns, the way he makes things whole is by purifying the world and bringing to light everything that has ever happened. Right? That's what this idea of, of the world and creation being disclosed comes in. 
that everything would be purified like fire. That's why there's a melting away of elements. And, and a part of that purification process is disclosing and showing everything that's taken place, the motives behind everything, and then deeming that right, forgiving that based on his goodness or judging it based on someone's out, being outside of the faith. And now what Paul, I mean, what Peter, I'm not going to lie, y'all. I'm thinking to call Peter Paul like 19 more times. Just bear with me. Uh, now what Peter is getting at is he's saying that's what we long for and that's what we place our hope in. And knowing that now, right, we know how we should live in godly conduct, hastening his return. What does that mean? Well, the most literal meaning of the word hasten is to speed, to speed that day, to speed that day up. In other words, we try to get it to come. We try to get it to come. I, I want to kind of like just step back and, and think about the last idea that we went through, this idea of waiting and, and our life here being the only hope we have if our hope is not in Christ's second coming. How many of us, when we think about Christ's return, think to ourselves, I hope it comes? How many of us ask ourselves, would I rather have another day on this side of eternity or an eternity on the other side with Jesus? Because if, let me tell you, friend, if, if you're clinging to this side of eternity, it's because you haven't fully grasped, nor is your hope fully placed in the reality of what life is on that side of eternity, in Christ's second coming. Because when our hope is there, Peter's telling us, live your life in a way that's going to bring it about quicker. How do we do that? Well, in every way, right? We can, we can pray that he would come, asking the Lord sincerely, Lord, please come. Right, this, this was kind of a phrase in, in the old days, right? Like, Lord, come. That type of idea where when we were faced with the ideas of injustice, we would actually ask the Lord to come back, to say, Jesus, return, and to make things right. But hear me, and also doing the work that God is doing. We pray, we, we can do that, but, but we give ourselves to the idea of Jesus returning by giving ourselves to, to everything that God is doing. Remember, the second coming is about. It's about redemption. It's about rescue. That, those are the things it's about. In that day, a judgment will be required for all those that are outside of Christ, but God's desire is that all would come to repentance. That's what Peter just wrote. In fact, rather than us seeing ourselves needing patience, Peter turns it on its head and helps us see that the Lord is actually being patient with us. In verse 15, Peter wants us to see the purpose of God's patience uh, is really for the sake of salvation. Also, he says in verse 15, regard the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. Think about that. That the Lord's greatest desire, God's greatest desire, is to see everyone come to repentance. That that's the, the beat of his heart. So his coming is intimately connected to his desire to see people come to faith, come to know him, come to believe in him, and come to follow him. How does that work? How does that, how does that, how do we impact? I'm going to be honest, I don't 100% know. And anyone that looks at you and is like, here's how you're going to get Christ to come back. I'm not going to lie, you shouldn't trust that person. But I know that there is a deep connection between Christ's desire to see people come to faith and Christ's time in coming back to make all things right. But I'm also, again, not sure that Peter's trying to tell us here's how to make Christ come back faster. What he's trying to tell us is not here's the, the formula in any of these things, but rather here's the lifestyle. 
He's not giving us a, a number to get to in terms of how many people come to faith so Christ can return, but rather he's giving us a way of life to live by in seeking and saving the lost in order to bring about faith and salvation. Friend, I just want to ask you a question because I love you. In what ways are you hastening? Are you speeding the day of the Lord's return? Jesus' second coming. In what ways are you actually living where an effort to bring that about is shown? Are you making disciples? Right? What does that, what does that look like? When, when's the last time uh, you invited someone to church? When's the last time you said, yo, can I pray for you? Is there anything you could use some prayer for or anything like that? When's, when's the last time you simply looked at somebody and said, yo, do you believe in God? Whether it's with family or at work, at, at the coffee shop you go to or at Target, on our prayer and care walks. We just went on one of them bad boys yesterday, right? That's why they're so incredibly powerful, because they, they reinforce the truth that there's more to hope in on this side of eternity than just our lives. Um, I used to have a, a homeboy named Peter Dusan. Well, I still have him, uh, but I don't spend much time with him anymore. Uh, his name's Peter, and he was the college minister. He was actually, he was the pastor uh, of the church that I worked at prior to working at the well, which is the church that planted refuge. And yeah, all right. And it was the craziest thing because when you called Peter and told him I failed in some way, when you called him to tell him I looked at something I wasn't supposed to, I, I had a conversation I wasn't supposed to, I got angry and did this on the road, I insert your struggle. He would look at you and be like, get your stuff. We're going to go evangelize. And it'd always be like, this doesn't make sense, man. I just told you I messed up. I should be the least qualified to share the faith right now. But Peter wanted you to know this Peter and the Peter I'm talking about, that there's a hope greater than just the life you live right now, even as beautiful as it is. The failures that, that, you, that you experience, the mistakes that you make, the injustices that hurt you, right? They don't define you. There's something greater and better than that now. And so when Peter would say, yo, get your stuff, pack it, we're going to go share the faith on campus or on the square or wherever, he was trying to help you understand you're lost in your own story right now but we're going to go share a different story. And that story is going to remind you to set your eyes on something greater, not just what's in front of you. Friend, let me ask you, in what ways are you reflecting what God is passionate about like that? Hear me. God was passionate. God was passionate about me understanding the depths of his love for me in the midst of my failures. It's easy for us to become obsessed with what we think a Christian should be and then hold them accountable to what we believe they should be rather than what God wants them to know and feel. In that moment, Peter Dusan looked at me and understood, I want you to know what God is passionate about. So pack your stuff and let's go share the faith. Friend, what are you doing in your life that's reflecting what God is passionate about? In what ways is your life reflecting the purpose of God's patience in drawing people to himself in people knowing the depths of his love, knowing the depths of his kindness, of his goodness. Friends, we're called to wait, but we're also called to work. We're called to place our hope in that second coming, but in the midst of waiting for that second coming, we're called to work alongside of Jesus in order to bring about people that know his goodness and advance the story of God's redemption and rescue and love so is that all? We're just called to wait and we're called to work? No, no, not quite. 
Um, we're also called to watch, to watch out for our own spiritual lives, right? Not just those of others, not just advancing God's mission, but also plugging into God's character. Look at 2 Peter 3, 14 through 16. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Also, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you, according to the wisdom given to him. After that, Peter goes on to basically, you know, uh, talk about how much Paul has said and how confusing it can be, but how powerful it is. Uh, but right there, I, want, I really want to put a pause. Make every effort to be without blemish or spot. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means paying attention to our spiritual life. Friends, it means paying attention to our, our spiritual life. It doesn't mean that if you're found with spot or blemish that you are cast out of the faith. No, the whole faith is built on the idea that it's not our righteousness and goodness that God accepts, but Jesus. So why then would Peter look at the church in Asia Minor and say, do everything you can to focus on the fact that you don't have a spot or a blemish, that you don't acquire anything like that? Why does he say that? And because living according to the teachings of Jesus reflects the depths of our love for Jesus. And trust me, hear me, I don't say that lightly. I say that knowing that that means our affections for Jesus don't happen by accident. Our following Jesus doesn't happen by accident. My life as a husband and the way I serve my wife, the way I serve my children, is a direct reflection of how I feel about them, how I love them and the dedication I have for them. But here's the thing, if I go my whole week and I don't once consider the depths of how beautiful, amazing my family is, then my service to them will reflect the absence of affection. You hear what I'm saying? I said this in a sermon once at, uh, actually at the Springs. The Springs is coming out all kinds of places today. The church I worked at before the world, and the world planted this church. Um, spiritual health and spiritual wholeness, it doesn't happen by accident. Hear me, it doesn't happen by accident. A while ago, I, uh, this is like, like in the, the pandemic, the like midpoint through the pandemic or from what we've experienced with the pandemic so far, I was trying to lose a couple of LBs, you know? Um, some people packed on the, uh, the quarantine 10, I packed on the quarantine 30. And, uh, and I was like, you know what? I, I gotta do something about this, man. I gotta go take a walk or something. And so I went out there and I did a few things and I, I tried and then I noticed after like maybe four or five weeks, I was like, man, I'm not getting any progress here. All right, I don't feel like I'm any progress. Both in the mirror and on the scale, neither of them are saying I'm changing. They're both kind of like, I mean, you still you. So I, I took a step back and I went to a friend of mine that's into personal training. And I said, brother, what is going on? How come? And he was like, well, uh, what are you eating? And I was like, well, uh, you know. <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, I try to eat good here and there. And he was like, name me your last six meals. And I lied for about four of them. Uh, and then I told him two that were true. And then he was like, how much are you working out? And I was like, brother, I work out when I can. All right, that's. And he was like, man, Josh, um, I don't want to tell you, man, but like, it doesn't matter how hard you go in one workout. Being physically healthy requires giving yourself to a lifestyle of physical health. Doesn't matter how hard you go in one workout. You have to give yourself to really a holistic view of your physical health. Maybe think about our spiritual life as well. Friend, hear me. It doesn't matter how hard you go, how well you fight for any one temptation. I'm not saying it's bad to fight temptation. 
but it doesn't matter how hard you fight for one temptation, as much as it matters of how much you've consistently and fully given yourself to God, his word, time and prayer with him, his family, his people, to consistently considering, right, a holistic view of what it means to follow Jesus. These are the questions we have to ask ourselves when we're considering our spiritual lives, when we're watching out for our spiritual lives. Right? Like, am I really giving myself to this? And I don't want to burden you. I don't even think Jesus would want to burden you. Matthew 12 makes it pretty clear, like, he's not going to judge you because you didn't read the Bible one day because you forgot to pray one day. Right? That, that's not the case. But he does invite us to know him and to abide in him as we walk through life consistently connected to him in his word, in prayer, with his people, right? That those things do connect us into Jesus and allow us to abide in him. So those are the questions we have to ask, right? How, how consistently and fully am I giving myself to God, his word, time uh, speaking to him in prayer, that's how I'm spent with his people, and how consistently and holistically are you thinking about your walk with Jesus? Is it a Sunday morning experience? Is that what your faith is like? Is, it a sun, is this where your faith stops and starts? Or is it a full, rich relationship of worship and love and dependence with Jesus? What does that look like? What does it look like more? This reality check, right? It, I hope it, I hope it, I, you know, uh, comforts uh, the, the threatened, right? If you, I don't want you to feel this sense of like, oh, I'm petrified now. But also, if you're, if you're comfortable in your faith, I hope it does sort of stir you and jolt you in a way that makes you consider deeply what your life looks like. Because again, the goal here is not to inform you of what the Bible says. The goal in this time is to hope our lives are transformed by the goodness of God being declared here in, in the words of Peter. And so I hope it, it stirs us a little bit, jolts us some. But, but here's the thing. This last reality check also leads us to our last idea, which is warning, which is warning. 2 Peter 3, 17 through 18. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. What does it mean? It means, friends, that we are called to protect our hearts. Friend, how do you protect your heart? Is protecting your heart and protecting your faith and protecting your, your relationship with the Lord is even a priority for you? Hey, if you're being honest with yourself, let me be real. Sometimes it's not. None of us in here are walking around batting 1,000 or whatever in the protecting your heart category. No one is. But the guard has to be up. He doesn't say make sure that you do everything perfectly. He says, man, friends, therefore, be on your guard. What does that mean? Realize and understand that there are influences in the world, in your life, wherever you are, that try to sway you away from this idea of our hope being in Christ's second coming, of our hope being in Jesus at all. 
right? These are realities of your life. And if they're not things that you're actively considering, if they're not things that you're actively guarding against, you will fall prey to them. It's our nature to generally start to pull away from Jesus when we're not connected to him. It's a part of just being in the flesh on this side of eternity. And let me tell you, friend, no one would look at you and see you face to face with a tornado and be like, throw a rock at it and see if you can beat it. No one would do that. They would look at you and be like, get out of there. Run, protect yourself, because when it's nature versus you, nature wins 100% of the time. But that's why we plug into the heart of Christ. That's why we stay connected to his community and his family of people. It's why we, we put ourselves into the word and ask God by his spirit to speak to us and to transform us and to, to draw our heart close to him. It's why we go to him and, and confess what we are and who we are to him and to our brothers and sisters and then to receive grace that shapes and transforms us and teaches us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Friends, Jesus desires for us to trust and hope in him deeply. And sometimes, right, if we're not careful, right, we, we can allow our hearts to just kind of float off and get involved in everything else that's around us and start to lose the hope that Christ desires for us to walk in, the joy that he desires for us to walk in. Warning, guard your heart. Guard it. Protect it. Let me ask you just questions. What in your life, and this is a hard question, because some of the things that you're going to respond to in this question, you're going to be like, I don't want to give that up. What in your life do you pinpointly know? Yo, when this happens, when I do this, when I watch this, my heart feels just a little bit farther from Jesus than it did before. When I'm around this person, when I'm partaking in this relationship, right? And hear me, we want to extend ourselves to those that hurt us and to invite them into the joy of the Lord, but we also have to recognize what in my life actively pulls me away from Jesus. Guard your heart, be on guard. Again, friend, Jesus desires for us to walk in trust and in hope and in joy deeply. Not on the surface, not where it's like, yeah, I could smile through some stuff, but, but when I get to the wall, I'm fractured and I'll break. But when it's so deep in there that the hardest difficulties in life face us and we're not unscathed but we're rooted deeply in him and who he is and I cry and I bend and I, I weep and I'm hurting and I'm broken but but I'm not gone I'm holding on to the hope I have in this Jesus that's what he desires for us but friends how are we doing that is our hope in his return and his work and his promises are just in this life, just in what's going on right now. The answer to that question will tell the story of the rest of your life. The answer to that question will tell the story about the rest of your life. Of whether you're working to advance that story of redemption or you're not, whether you're fully giving yourself to uh, knowing and experiencing Jesus and growing in your walk with him, whether you're protecting your heart and your faith, right? That, that first question, where's my hope, will dictate the rest of those questions. It will answer the rest of them. Friends, Jesus' desire is to have a flourishing relationship with you, with me. One that's marked again by hope and joy that's unshakable, yet, friends, our hope has to be in him for that to really happen. 
Our hope has to be in the fact that he is who he says he is. That he's going to do what he says he's going to do. That we hold faith in the coming of the one who's vowed to make all things right. Right? That, that's, what we're, that's what we're called to. As we close today, man, it's, it's my hope. And I pray that our hearts, even right now, as we consider these things, can be a little bit more surrendered to it. Right? That, that they can look at our own lives and say, man, there are things that I give myself to where I actively know they'll, they'll pull me away from him. Man, God, I don't want to do those anymore. Father, I don't want to use my life just to my own advantages, just to my own story, but Father, I want to, I want to work alongside of you to see this story culminate in such a beautiful ending that I will be able to look upon that and say, I had a role to play in that. I wasn't just a recipient of that story, man. I shared that story. I advanced that story. There are gems in, of God's grace in heaven that I can look at and say, I was the one to share that good news with that person. I want to live my life in a way that seeks to know you and to be plugged into you every moment of the day. I hope our hearts can, can soften toward him in that way. As we continue to consider what it means to celebrate his first coming while also waiting and anticipating what it's going to look like on that beautiful day when our Savior returns and the deepest longings of our hearts, the deepest pains, the sorrows are made right. What a beautiful day that'll be. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the truth that we have a Savior who lives and who reigns. That you, Father, um, you will make things right. That we are called to work alongside of you to restore communities and and to make them look um, as close to whole on this side of eternity as we can. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Father, that we're, we're called to to protect our hearts and to guard against the, the influences around us that seek to pull us away from you. Father, that we're called to give ourselves to you, but ultimately we recognize that it's none of those actions that save us and none of those actions that we place our hope in. What we truly place our hope in is you, that you are the resurrection and the life, that you are the way, that you are the truth. Father, we, we look to you today in hope and anticipation of the day when you return to make right everything that's wrong in the world, but to make right everything that's wrong in us. To your glory and for the good of the creation that you love and are pursuing into love with all of your heart. Father, help us to respond with all of ours. We love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 